Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole Palazzo, and talking with this week's guest was, for me, a little bit like taking a peek behind the curtain at the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so as many of you know, I'm a librarian, I love myself a good resource, and the website Live Work Germany has been my go-to for many things expat related as I was figuring my own move to Germany out, and as I've been working on the podcast, I've linked to a lot of their resources in the show notes, so maybe you know of them too through me or from elsewhere. Well, today's episode is with the man behind the website. So we sit down with James, who's a British expat here in Germany, about how the website came to be, what his experience has been like in Germany, and we also get into a new service that he's launching in the new year, um, which, as you'll hear, I kind of probably definitely should sign myself up for because I'm not a responsible German and I'm trying to be and I'm failing. So yeah, anyway. So yeah, maybe a couple of you are like me and could also use that. I also wanted to say before we dive into the episode, I am going to be taking over the We Are Expats Twitter handle next week. So for a week starting on Monday, December 10th, I will be tweeting at, on their handle, which is We Are Expats, except expats with just the X, so W-E-A-R-E-X-P-A-T-S. They have a rotating handle, so every week a different expat from somewhere else around the globe shows people a glimpse into their life, leads different discussions about whatever expat topic is on hand, etc. So I've enjoyed following it for a while, and I'm really excited to get my hands on it and show you guys a deeper look into my life here and some things that are on my mind recently. So definitely go ahead, if you're not already following them on Twitter, give them a follow and keep an eye out for my takeover again starting December 10th. We are expats, expats spelled X-P-A-T-S. All right, and with that, I'm going to go drink some tea because as you can hear, my nose is stuffy, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. (laughs) Yes, so my name's James. I have been in Germany for 12 years. I'm originally from the Birmingham area in the UK. And yeah, I moved to Germany in 2006 for a really good job offer that I had out there. And like most things in life, I went over there thinking, oh, I go there for two or three years. If I don't like it, I can always come back. Nothing ventured. 12 years later, three jobs, two ex-girlfriends and an apartment. Eight later, I'm (laughs) still there. You still like it? Yeah, I still like it. Yeah, I have my moans and groans from time to time, but I think that's part of that's part of expat life. Maybe maybe I'm just becoming Germanized, starting to moan about everything. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's truly when somewhere becomes your home, when you're able to to have negative opinions about it, but still know that you're going to stick around, you know? And are you, what region of Germany do you live in? I live in Wiesbaden, which is in the Rhein-Main area. So it's about 35 kilometers from Frankfurt right next to the vineyard on the Rhine. So it's wonderful in summer when you can cycle through the vineyards and, and go hiking and do lots of stuff outside. And that's that's one of the things I really love about Germany is that the whole outdoor sort of setup is, it, it's much easier to do things that aren't 
drinking, shopping or watching TV in Germany because it just has that infrastructure that's set up for doing outdoor activities, especially for a Brit. The, the weather here is considerably nicer than it is in the UK. So that was kind of a novelty when I first came over. It's like, hey, you actually have July and August where the sun comes out for more than two days and, you know, you can plan a barbecue without having to worry about if it's going to rain all afternoon. And they don't let the bad weather keep them back either. So throughout all the season, that's what I really love is every season <laughs> there's something to do outside and there's the whole saying, you know, there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. Only bad clothing. And, yep. yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to convince some of my American friends and family that it's okay if they come visit in the winter, even if it's not Weihnachtmarkt season, even if it's not the Christmas markets, you know, there's still stuff that we can do outside and you somehow don't feel so trapped. I mean, I'm exactly. still learning yeah, I mean, how I'm... to get on board it though, because I still feel like, but I'm cold and I don't want to be outside. <laughs> So I'm st- I think I'm still buying the right clothing. Maybe that's my my issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a warm, definitely a warm weather person as well. But but one of the first things when I moved to Germany, one of the first things that I had on my list that I wanted to do so as I could get. I mean, I moved in October. It was just at the start of the autumn, so I knew that I had a long cold winter to get through without really knowing anyone or having any social contacts. So. Learning to ski was pretty high on the to-do list of my first winter that I was there. And there's plenty of that to do around here. And it's really accessible. Like I always thought of skiing as like this like rich person activity because you had to travel to a mountain. You had to rent this chalet or whatever and, and buy all the equipment or rent all the equipment. But here you can just find like some hut. And well, where I am, you go to the Black Forest, you find some guy in a hut who has like five skis that he rents out 10 bucks a day. And you go. I mean, there are resorts, but there's also a way more DIY kind of approach to it. Yeah, if you go to the smaller places that are, that are more sort of family oriented or, or geared up towards beginners, it's definitely much, much cheaper. And as a Brit moving to Germany, what was your impression of Germany before you got here? I'd actually lived in Germany for a year when I was a student. So I, I studied modern languages. Then typically you do what they call a sandwich year. Between your second and your and, and your final year, they, we, we do what oh. we do a sandwich year, which which then means you go abroad for a year to the to the country that you're studying the language for. And there were three choices. So I could either I, I could have gone and studied at a university, which I didn't want to do because I knew I would meet Brits and just speak English all the time. <laughs> I could have gone and been a foreign language assistant in a school, but I'm not really a kids person. So I went to my tutor and said, can I go out there and work? I did a practicum for an engineering company who were just doing translation for their sales department. So I'd already spent a year in Germany uh, as a student. So I kind of knew what to expect coming over, although, you know, where, where I was in Dresden back then in the late 90s was very, very different at it because it's only eight years after the war that come down. So everything was still very gray and it looked very, very East German at the time. So um you know, moving to Wiesbaden then seven years later. Uh, some things were the same, you know, in terms of lack of choice in the supermarkets and everything being closed on Sundays and the cash culture and the usual things that expats always moan about. But uh, a lot of things were different as well in that it was a whole different place and a different vibe because it was a much more affluent, established region that was very international because of its proximity to Frankfurt. Yeah, I've heard some funny things from some British people who have never traveled to Germany themselves, where they just know the Germans from the Germans who vacation in England. And they have some really funny things to say about, you know, because like the Germans will take up the whole the whole beach and they have all these certain ways that they expect the beaches to be and all this kind of silly stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> But you are way more aware of like the actual 
cultures and it sounds so you learn German beforehand as well. When I came professionally in 2006, I could speak pretty good German because I'd already lived here for a year as a student and uh, it was a huge advantage in terms of just being able to get practicalities done and, and not be not be reliant on, on work colleagues or, or contacts in things like apartment search and opening a bank account, all the weird and wonderful stuff you have to do and get to grips with when you move to another country. Yeah, normally people I know have to find their, their friendly neighborhood German who will take them on and go to these appointments with them because even if you speak decent German, if you're somewhere in the B1, B2 region, by B2 maybe you can go do some stuff yourself, but it takes a while before you're really ready to take, to take a lot of this stuff on. And so, so often expats end up being dependent on a partner or a friend or literally anyone who will give them the time of day to go to these places with them and talk them through things. So it's, it's great that you didn't need that dependence. But it also makes me think of then, this is a good time to bring up your awesome website, which I've linked to several times in the show notes of the expat cast. <laughs> you run Live Work Germany, right? That's right. Yes. It's a weird story because I, uh, I didn't start the website until I'd been here for 10 years. In 2016, I bought a, a holiday home in Spain. After I did that, it sort of got me into thinking I'd quite like to spend a little bit more time there, especially, especially during the colder times of the year in Germany, you know, during the spring and during the autumn when the weather down, down in Spain is still really nice. And that got me thinking, well, what, what could I do in terms of you know, running a business that I could that I could be completely location independent, and 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 how could I go about doing that? And I'd come to the conclusion of I'd like to I'd like to write a book around teaching expats how to move to Germany, or teaching skilled migrants how to move with and get a visa and get set up, uh, and how to how to get various practical things done and deal with bureaucracy and how to put your kids to school and all that sort of stuff. But then I thought, well, if I write it, I have the knowledge and I have the content, but who's going to read it? Nobody knows who I am. And then that really led me to think, well, I really need a website or a blog to be able to gain an audience so as I can then be perceived to be an authority on that subject. And that's really where Live Work Germany came about to really just test the water to see if there was any interest in reading that type of content online, which I guess there probably was. There wasn't really much out there just offering the more practical, hands-on factual advice. I mean, I do put, I do put some more cultural and, and fun articles on there as well, but it's it's really meant to be a reference guide for anyone seeking to move to Germany to live and work or that's recently arrived and just wants to know how to get certain stuff done. Yeah, absolutely, because a lot of that information is only on the German websites in German. And if you come here and you're not in the position to read through that, then it's super intimidating. And sometimes they have English versions of the site, but you end up still confused somehow, or the information's outdated, or they only have the information on, in English on, for example, the Berlin city website. And if you're not in a big city like Berlin, the rules might be slightly different, but these towns are so tiny that they might not be putting resources into translating their information. So I know I've found it as, even before this podcast, just as a really useful resource in terms of getting updated information that was accurate and and helpful in english and the other thing is about uh, some of these german governmental web websites they will literally tell you the letter of the law but they won't explain some of the gray zones and the problem or the the advantage depending which way you look at it with with, with a lot of bureaucratic processes in germany is that there is no national agency in a lot of circumstances most of it is down to the Städter or the gemeinde 
individually. So it really comes down to, you know, what what type of caseworker you get and how and, and how helpful they want to be in your situation. Now, I mean, they've, they've got to work within the guidelines, but some of them will cut you a bit more slack than others. So there, there is a bit of ambiguity regarding, well, just take an example. If you if you look up articles on how to get a freelance visa in Germany, you'll you'll read 10 different articles, which will probably tell you completely contradicting things, because if 10 different people have done it in 10 different cities, um, the process is, is more than likely going to be slightly different between each one, A, depending on the municipality, and B, depending on the caseworker that you get and how much you smile and are charming towards them and and how much slack they cut you because there is no national central agency that processes all of this stuff. And it's also, there does seem to be different treatment of different people in a way that I can't put my finger on exactly where, you know, when I've been going, I've I've had a very good experience with people the whole way through. I mean, I've definitely had moments where they're being unhelpful and and seem very determined to be unhelpful. But then um, I've always been speaking in German and I've always been going with or often been going with someone who is German and so no matter what there was this level of like you can see my dedication to this effort whereas I know people who have come here to do freelance English teaching that haven't learned German because their job isn't going to demand it they've learned a few things here or there but they're not going to get through an appointment with any kind of agency on that level and that can be an area where they've gotten worse treatment and again who can say if it's specifically the language thing or if it's something else who knows it's hard to find it's, it's hard to put out resources like this because it is very circumstantial but at the same time there are commonalities amongst it all and knowing at least what the possible outcomes are beforehand is very helpful yeah and i think it's a little bit like applying for a job i mean you, you if, if you're going to get someone there that's going to be completely rude and unhelpful then that's just going to happen and that's the facts of life and uh and there are rude people in, in 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 city hall offices across the UK and in the US as well. But but I do think that some people dig their own grave a little bit. I mean, if you if you turn up looking disheveled and completely disorganised and not on time, then they're a lot less likely to be helpful than if you go there dressed well with everything in a with, with everything in a good filing system when you're making an application, or or, or at least with a native German speaker. If uh, if your German's not very good, then it, it it sounds obvious, but it's amazing how many people moan and complain in expat forums about bad experiences. But if you do make the effort, I, I have similar experiences to you that whenever I need to go to the finance amp or to the Bürgerbüro, as, as long as I'm organized and, and, and I'm polite to them, you know, probably eight times out of 10, I'll get someone that's helpful. What you just said too is so key, organization. I actually had an integration coach for a short period of time and he had worked with some other immigrants and he said that, you know, he was just just shocked how much the work there was to be done with these people because they would show up with their piece of paper like crumpled in a bag and they didn't even have a binder of information or what they call a folder of information and um and I was sitting there like I'm a pretty disorganized person by nature and like yeah my piece of paper was just like in my purse and <laughs> so I, I you know we all had to learn you know the Germans love to see your binder that has a specific purpose and has a filing system with all of your information and everything's hole punched and everything's just very precise and and what I found funny is like, the, you know, the longer I stay here, I'm like, of course they expect that because literally everyone I know has a full shelf of binders for taxes, for banking, yeah. for whatever. And I have one too. And I feel like such a, you know, accomplished German whenever I pull out my binder and organize it. But I didn't know that at first. And I can totally see how someone who came with like less organization wouldn't 
have that and wouldn't think to have that. But something as simple as that can make a huge difference on on how you're perceived. And I think it's just something that really I learned the hard way over the first years is that I didn't even know the ways that I wasn't prepared before I, I messed it up, you know, until someone had the decency to tell me like, hey, by the way, that's not quite right, you know? So I'm always grateful for people putting those resources out there and trying to explain it. But on the topic of communication, um, correspondence and how that works in Germany. So you actually brought up a really interesting example comparing it to the UK. So let's say you get an, a mail in Germany. First off, you get four. You don't get one letter. You get four letters from the same place. <laughs> it's all in recycled paper, but they still send four. Um, I got to the point where I just gave all of my official letters to my boyfriend who is German and I would say, great, can you just tell me what I need to do? Because even though I'm at this point, I'm fluent enough in German, you know, I work in German, I, I have lived here over a year and, and I feel confident in the language in general. I have no confidence in my letter German. I just think that they compl- they seem to like go out of their way to explain things in the most confusing possible way where I just am like, I just kind of, I don't give up, but I have an easier way out, which is to have Gordon read it. And I take advantage of that. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. And if you have that situation, then, you, then you're very lucky. But 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 some, a lot of people don't. I mean, there's with, with correspondence in German, I find that it's written in such a complex and legalese form, especially, I mean, I, I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but typically government agencies and utility providers and anyone that's providing any sort of any sort of service business to, to the mass public. In the UK, they typically write to you in what I call nine-year-old English, because if you've got recent immigrants in the country that don't speak the language very well, you, you still want their business, right? The same as if you've got people that are not well-educated, you still want them to be able to pay their bills on time and understand what they're signing up for. So, yeah, I just think that the way that German bureaucracy and German service providers write to their customers is highly confusing if you're not an educated, if you're not just a native German speaker, but an educated native German speaker, I would go even that far. And I guess foreigners fall into three different categories. There are there are those like yourself that, that have a partner or that have colleagues that they can rely on to help them with all of that. But then sooner or later, you, you don't want to piss them off. And there's a, there's a certain there's a certain point that you'll get to when when you when you kind of feel awkward going to them, maybe not with a boyfriend or with or with a partner, but but certainly with work colleagues that will come a time that you don't want to keep pestering them with it. And then the second group of people is, uh, are those that don't have that network and don't speak any German. So simply have no way of doing it and may end up. Know, get it getting fined or paying a higher price than they need to for a particular service because they don't know what's what's been asked of them and then there's a third group which you know pe- people like myself that, that that can speak german but are very busy with jobs and with 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 hobbies and and, and with life in general and maybe just don't want to and just want to scan them and, and give them to someone so yeah that that it brought me to the idea of well you don't need to get this correspondence translated because really you just want to know what's it about, what action do I need to take, and by when, and what are the consequences if if I don't do that. And with with those four sort of small bullet points, really, you can kind of get the gist of any letter that you're that you're being sent. I mean, I, I don't mean a 16-page contract on health insurance. That's a complete different matter, or a 
or an apartment rental contract or a service charges statement, a Betriebskostenabrechnung. I mean, that's all. That's a whole. That's a whole different ball game. But but simple correspondence that typically, especially in Germany, where they tend to write letters rather than send emails, you may you may get one or two of these a week. And I thought, well, if I could through through the website provide a service that allows people to have that summarized easily and cheaply in in English for an affordable fee per year, it, it not only would provide a valuable service to the expat community, but it would also provide recurring revenue that something like consulting or book sales wouldn't. So ultimately, I came to the idea that that was the that was the foundation upon which I wanted to build Live Work Germany as a business. And I have now so the, the you can click through and you can read what the service will do and you can pre-register for it. And we're going to be launching it probably in December, maybe in January, depending on depending on a couple of things that I still need to do. And that will give them the confused or the desperate expat the option to have their German correspondence summarized by a native English speaker, either on a quarterly package or on an annual package for, for, for a very affordable fee. So is the idea then that you're going to put forth examples of common letters or that you will literally take someone's letter that they received and look at it? We will take each individual correspondence. So yeah, they, they would they would scan it and send it to me. And and obviously if they want to if they want to remove their name and their address, I mean I have no interest in in, in processing data and selling it to third parties. That's not how that's not our business model. But yeah, we would take each individual correspondence and we would just summarize it in in three or four bullet points telling them what it what it's regarding and what they need to do and and what would potentially happen if they don't do that. I mean, a parking fines and speeding tickets are the obvious example. They they come in two or three pages, but what you actually need to do with it is very simple to summarize. Yeah, here's here's one from, from my life recently. So I, I was working until, I had a contract until the end of July of 2018, and then I had a new job starting November 1st of 2018. But in those months in between, I needed health insurance, right? It's not possible in Germany to not have health insurance and your insurance can't just kick you off, you know? So I had been registered with this insurance company, AOK, um, and I didn't know what to do about this like gap that was coming up. And I was very overwhelmed by a lot of things in my life at that moment. So I did the exact wrong thing to do, which is that I just did nothing. And I was like, I guess they'll just handle it or they'll come find me if I need to do something. The and... whole bury your head in the sand option. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Took that one. I took that one. We'll be there and done it. <laughs> I was in the middle of dealing with all of the paperwork for like a visa and all these all these other things. And I just was like, you know what? You get to a point where you're like, I can't take this on as a person right now. Like it's, it's, I'm, I'm reaching my limit and something's got to go. And like, I'm just going to choose that one. So I'm not saying it's the right thing, but I think it's a very human reaction. <laughs> so I just did nothing. And it actually took about two months before they mailed me a letter saying, Hey, we noticed that you were only on your job contract until the end of July. And this insurance was in tandem with that job. So what's up? And then I got a second letter basically just like saying the same thing. And there were these two different forms I had to fill out. And I didn't know how to fill them out because it was a checkbox system. And none of the checkboxes were really matching up with what my scenario was, which was, I mean, I'm technically unemployed, but I'm not on unemployment because I wasn't eligible because of how long I'd been working in the country or whatever it might have been. Um, so I couldn't check that. I couldn't check all this other stuff. And I was reading this letter 
And I was like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. They want 4,800 euros from me. How is that possible for three God. months of coverage? <laughs> and like, is that like a fee because I didn't do anything? Is this the, what I have to, the price I have to pay for, for putting my hand and burying my head in the sand? You know, I was, I was freaking out and I was trying to like stay calm, be like, it's all, you know, it's all going to work out. Okay. Maybe they do payment plans or something. Gordon got home from work and I'm like, please look at this right now because I'm I'm paranoid what's going on. And he was like, he, he had to read it two or three times himself because it also doesn't make clear logical sense, uh, the first read through. But he was like, oh no, what they're saying is if you ignore this letter and don't respond by a certain date, they will assume X, Y, and Z, which will then lead them to fine you 4,800 euros for your situation. But they also say, if you just respond, you'll just have to pay out of pocket the three-month health insurance fee, and you can start that once you're at work again. So it was totally a reasonable outcome. Everything worked out fine, and it was not a panicky moment, or it shouldn't have been. But for me, it was because I didn't know how to read that. And, and yeah, right? You just, see the, you just see the figure there, and you think, oh my word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and since it was being paid through my employer, I had no idea what it cost. So I was like, I don't know, maybe. I don't, you know, when you're new, you don't know it's normal. And I, that's definitely a moment where I could see, I could see your service coming in handy. And then they sent me another set of letters. I think I got four or five over this one thing all at the same time. And I ended up just going into the AOK and sitting down with the lady and saying, can you just, can I just do whatever I need to do with you right now? And then we'll be done. And and she was great and did that. But yeah, there's like a huge intimidation factor that comes when you get this German brief, uh, sorry, this German letter. And it's got all these like squiggly notes. They, I don't know what that character is called, but they have this special like double S character to refer to oh, that's the, yeah, that refers to a, diff, a certain legal clause in their contracts or in their yeah in their in their civil code yeah 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 and I I mean it just looks crazy intimidating and yeah I actually talked to Gordon about this before we sat down to record this episode because I knew we'd talk about correspondence and I said hey so how is it for you as a German as a native speaker and he said his take is that they're just complicated systems typically, and it is possible to understand it once you sit down and look through it. And he was like, you know, I don't know if they can simplify it because because the systems are so complicated. But I think that's where me as an outsider would say, well, then the system should be more simple. Like it doesn't need to be yeah. so complicated. Or do you need to know the whole situation? Do you need all of this information? Or can you just be given three bullet points that says, here's what's happening. Here's what you need to do. Here are the consequences if you don't. You know, that's all you need at the end of the day. So if the German government's not willing to do it, I'm I'm glad someone else is. <laughs> but Germans like their details, don't they? Oh, God, they love them. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, there's certainly the Brits are more just like, t- just t- tell me tell me the facts and tell me the key points and then and then get out of my way. And whereas right. Germans want to know the full detail. It's it's just a cultural difference, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like so much of that stuff. It's it's sort of fun or funny to to you know, have your, have your opinions about it. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's a different way to do things. And I'm, it's no better or worse than anything else, or maybe it is, but it's just always another moment of like, oh God, right. Okay. Got to figure this out. You know, you're, you're 12 years in and it's still just starting to feel normal with, with correspondence like that. So it's a process. It's a journey. (laughs) And we've, we've all got stories about how we've been screwed in some way by, you know, not understanding a German letter or, or how certain things work here. I mean, mine was, Mine was I got stung for 250 euro after my first year because I didn't uh, I didn't cancel my gym contracts and I didn't realize the contracts here automatically renew and uh, 
yeah, that was an expensive lesson. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's so many when you first get there that you get the letter about trash pickup. That's confusing. That doesn't seem like it should be confusing, but was. Um, <laughs> there's that one, what's it called? That tax that everyone hates. It's not technically a tax for the TV and the radio. Oh, the, uh, the Rundfunkbeitrag. Yeah, the yeah. tax that isn't a tax. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, it's like, what's it, 15 euros a month per household. It is required that you pay that monthly for public radio and public television channels. But it's not tech, it's not taken out of your taxes. It's a separate sort of bill and you yeah. can't get out of it. You can prove that you have no TV in your house, that you have no radio, you have to pay it. And everyone hates it. And, and it's a weird concept for everyone. Even the Germans are like, why is this a thing? And all the politicians run on getting rid of it and then never get rid of it. But <laughs> as, as a foreigner coming in, you think, what is this? It's already, it's, it's a weird idea and it's not explained very clearly. And it just seems like who's demanding money from me? So I just thought letter openers were really cool, but I never got one because no one really does mail anymore in the U.S. Coming to Germany, I'm like, well, great. Here's here's a perfect opportunity to buy a, a letter <laughs> opener because I get like 30 a week, even though I don't have a pen pal or, or something. It's just random crap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, getting post redirected, you would actually need to do it here. Whereas in a lot of countries now, I mean, paper correspondence has pretty much died a death, apart from maybe insurance to certificates and stuff that lawyers send you. It's, it's alive and well in good old Germany. <laughs> Arriving. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing that the thing that surprises me is just how long it's taken for contactless payment to really take off in Germany, and it still is very much in its infancy. And and whenever I go back to the UK, you can pay for everything on contactless, and it's just so quick. What does um, that mean? When when you when you just hold your hold your card against against the reader, oh. and it ma- it makes a beep, and then it's like public public transport in London. If you if you ride the tube. You just show your contactless card at the barriers and then the barrier opens and you can travel. And then when you get off at the next station at the barrier, you you click your contactless card and and then you just get the bill for how many stops you've traveled or how many zones. And yeah, it just makes things so much faster. But whereas whereas Germans seem to think that card payments slow things up because they still have chip and pin or the signatures. But I mean, at at my local outdoor pool, at my local Freibad, there's one cashier on and there's often a queue of 15, 20 people. And I just think if they had contact payment, they would be able to process that queue in seconds. That's true. <laughs> I was just saying in a recent episode, I went back to the States in September and saw someone pay with Apple Pay with their phone and their watch. And I got freaked out because I was like, the future is here and I'm not ready for it. <laughs> the future's been here for five years and you've not seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I came back here and it's, yeah, you put your chip in. But in the States, we just got the chips recently. We were still swiping cards. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, until like well, the, the a year or two ago. Time, two, three first years. time I saw that must have been in about 2000 or 2001 in wow. Canada. So they've had it for a long, long time. Okay, yeah. So things like that, it's still, I don't know, it's a confusing like old school, new school situation in Germany, but it's like very representative of the whole, of the whole culture. Like there are some ways in, that they're so advanced and then there's others where they're totally behind, willfully, in, off, in many cases. <laughs> That's really true. That's really true, actually. When you think about how cutting edge Germans are or how, how forward thinking they are in a lot of regards, I mean, the environmental consciousness of consumers and the whole recycling thing, I think, is brilliant in Germany. But then, well, the example I just gave, just like digitizing their public transport network, they, they just seem to be so far behind and it, it does make you wonder. Yeah, I, I, that's probably one area where I still get like daily culture shock. When I take the Straßenbahn, when I take the tram and you can just walk on, you're supposed to buy a ticket, you're supposed to stamp it. 
but if you don't, then you don't. And they just have people who come through every now and again and check your tickets. And if you don't have a ticket, you get fined 60 euros. But that happens very rarely. And so a lot of people, they call it riding black, where you just don't buy a ticket. And when I first got here, I just was so confused. I was like, there's no way that that's the system. Like, how is this? How is this a thing? (laughs) And so many people don't pay for it then. I think the whole civic responsibility thing in Germany is a lot more is a lot more of a thing that certainly is in the UK. I mean, the UK is, I think, similar to the States. It's a very individualistic society. And especially since the 80s with, you know, with Margaret Thatcher and, you know, everyone's responsible for, for, for their own well-being. I think that there's much more individualism in the UK and everyone after themselves, whereas in Germany, there does seem to be that more civic responsibility type of attitude. And I think maybe that's why it works. And, it, and, it, and even that comes back to this whole paperwork thing that we were talking about earlier because everyone is responsible in the way that they will go on the train and buy their own ticket even if no one's going to check it and everyone's responsible in the way that when they get a letter they put two holes in it and they put it in their binder in the appropriate categorized folder and you know in the whole it's and, and that's just how everyone does it and I think from for many outsiders that's that's foreign that's totally not how it works in their own countries so it's an adjustment but it's it's one of those things where i'm like okay germany is making me a better person it's making me more organized i can't just throw my important document in my purse and hope it's fine <laughs> so it's a challenge i'm personally glad to take on but definitely something that i've needed a lot of help with along the way so i'm i'm grateful for for your website and others like it and the new service you're <laughs> launching sounds awesome but with that then we will round the corner and head to home and head to our ending segment which is called zack 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 so i'm going to ask you reading this part yeah (laughs) well i'll give you a little hint i was hungry when i came up with them today so it's three questions rapid fire just gonna ask you you give me your gut reaction don't think it don't overthink it just go ready ready what is the best burger that you've had in your whole life and where was it it was probably somewhere in the states but I can't remember where, but the burger's definitely a lot, lot better over there than they are here. Was it Five Guys? I just found out there's a Five Guys in Frankfurt. Pro tip. There there is, yeah, yeah. I I stopped eating beef a couple of years ago, Uh. so I've not tried. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite kind of German bread? Uh, actually, it's the Turkish Fladenport. I love it. I think it's so tasty. <laughs> <laughs> I buy my bread from the Turkish supermarket. Sorry, that's a terrible answer. It counts. It's Turkish German. It's a huge population here. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned you like skiing. So can you recommend one great place to go skiing in the winter? Um, in Germany, my two favorite resorts are Garmisch-Partenkirchen and Oberstdorf. And a bit of a secret tip is Feldberg in the Black Forest, which is also a pretty well-developed resort. It's not a snowshore, but it's a little bit more cozy because there's not as many foreigners go there. So it's more of an authentic German ski experience, I guess. And that's in my neck of the woods, Freiburg's. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're in Freiburg. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a little hike to, to Feldberg. Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to take that tip because I was thinking that's one of my goals this winter is to go ski. Thank you. (laughs) Those were the the XXX. Very good. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing with us all your experiences and resources. It's a pleasure, Nicole. Thank you for having me and keep up the good work. 
Thanks again to James for coming on the show and for all of the great work that you do on the website LiveWorkGermany. Best of luck with your new service. You may or may not see my name on the customer list soon if Gordon gets sick of me asking him to read every single correspondence I get. <laughs> and what a nice transition that brings me to my thank yous. <laughs> thank you, Gordon Eisenach, my partner in life and in podcasting. Thank you to Amy Lungi Art for the logo and thank you to SideHug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram at a hug from the side. We are also on Instagram at the Expat Cast, as well as on Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, also at the Expat Cast. And a reminder that for a week starting on December 10th, you'll also find me on the Twitter handle We Are Expats. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. We'll be back in your feed next week for a conversation I was so excited to see the interest about and I was so excited to have and to continue having as we move forward, and that is being a broke expat. So keep an eye out for that next week in your feeds. Tips from me as well as a local expert in all things thriftiness on how to get by on the cheap abroad. Until then, have a great week, everyone.